unabashed. The most unpredictable becomes a headline. The most volatile outrageous behavior. Unsubstantiated narratives. A battle of personalities. Welcome to Grant Tamasha, a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. I'm your host, Milan Beshev. This is a special bonus episode of the podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different this year. One of the real upsides of hosting Grant Tamasha is that I end up reading a ton of books and interviewing a lot of different authors for each season we put together. Uh, as many of our listeners will know, we just wrapped up our eighth season, and I've been thinking a lot about the year gone by, the year 2022. And as part of that process, we decided to do something a little bit different this year, uh, and we have decided to make a list of the top three India books of the year based on some of the very own books that we've highlighted on the show this year. Um, this sounds like an easy task, but it's actually really complicated for two reasons. Number one is I read lots of really excellent books that didn't make it onto the podcast, some of which were not about India, of course. And number two, there are far too many good books that we did feature that I couldn't include. Having said all that, here in no particular order are our Grand Thamasha top three books of 2022. The first book I want to highlight is a really eclectic book. Uh, Desperately Seeking Shahrukh, India's Lonely Young Woman and the Search for Intimacy and Independence by the author Shreyana Bhattacharya. The thing that I like about this book so much is that it's really impossible to, to classify. So it's part kind of economics text about the difficulties of being a young woman in India, trying to access you know a labor market that is super patriarchal. Uh, but it's also a candid memoir uh, of the author's own trials and tribulations, trying to find a life partner uh, in the city of Delhi, which is very, very difficult. Uh, it's also partly an uh, homage to the Bollywood superstar Shah Rukh Khan, who has become sort of this uh, icon for for women all around India. Uh, and the book is also sort of a social commentary. It it, it takes us into the homes. Uh, of the jobs of, of 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 women across the country, where you learn about their place in the household, gender relations, you know, of, of a country where there are still a lot of people who are living in very precarious situations. Uh, I, I want to just play a clip from our interview with Trayana, and in this clip, I sort of ask her to help our listeners understand what Shah Rukh Khan, who is known by SRK to those in the know, what he symbolizes for Indian women. Here's what she had to say. If you see the kinds of roles that he's done, right from, you know, the the dangerous stalker who's actually actively harming women, uh, then straight into, you know, lovers who are always, you know, have wide open arms, are extremely considerate and kind to the women and they love and, and their mothers and sisters and so on. Um, and to the more recent roles where he's actually been playing somewhat narcissistic men who are extremely worried about being dwarfed by very important and confident women, women who have higher social status than him. If you look at these sort of three phases of his career, the one thing that's very apparent is that he's always been very vulnerable on screen. And it's a kind of masculinity that I think, you know, Anupama Chopra in the book said to me that, you know, it was a masculinity that we as an Indian audience had never seen before. Uh, because, you know, he was in the kitchen, he he found masculine strength in actually talking about his feelings. 
And and I think what's really important in understanding Mr. Khan's persona on screen as well as off screen is that kindness, a certain gentle masculinity that he's embodied uh, through his career. And it's it's very different, Milan, if you contrast that with, say, you know, a Salman Khan or an Amir Khan, because, you know, Salman's icon is one of brash, hyper-masculine confidence, you know, that the the really the man who will beat everybody up and is 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 a show of strength in a very traditional stoic way. And Amir's character, you know, his characters and his his icon is one essentially of, you know, what he now, you know, what we call the perfectionist. He sort of picks really good roles and great scripts. And I think his icon tends to adhere to very traditional notions of what uh, an actor should be. Book number two on our top three of the year is a book called The Progressive Maharaja, Sir Madhava Rao's Hints on the Art and Science of Government. And this is by the political theorist Rahul Sagar. Rahul Sagar is having an amazing year. This book, The Progressive Maharaja, is actually the second of two books that he released this year, both of which we featured uh, on the show, and we'll make sure to link to both of those. Uh, The first book is an anthology of long-forgotten 19th-century debates on India's role in the world. Uh, That book was called To Raise a Fallen People, How 19th-Century Indians Saw Their World and Shaped Ours. But The Progressive Maharaja is is another book, but it's a it's a text that Sagar has sort of unearthed thanks to some pretty impressive kind of scholarly detective work. Uh, the book is made up of lectures that the 19th century intellectual and administrator par excellence Madhava Rao delivered back in 1881 to a guy named Sayaji Rao. Sayaji Rao was the young Maharaja or Prince of Baroda. And the way to think about these lectures are they're not only the first treatise on statecraft produced in modern India, but they're sort of India's version of Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh, And what Sagar has done is to essentially rescue these lectures from obscurity, edit them, rearrange them, introduce them with a pretty informative, lengthy essay about Madhava Rao, the man, as well as the broader context of governance and colonial India. And what's so interesting about uh, these lectures, this treatise, is that Rao covers just a huge swath of territory. So there's lessons about civil administration, to justice and the police, to to the perils of of absolutism. And, you know, I want to just play a clip from my interview with Rahul where I ask him about one of Madhava Rao's core lessons to his young pupil, which is about the centrality of citizens' happiness. Have a listen. The classics are invaluable. The classics say we must maintain order. But if you look around you empirically, this is the science of politics. Look around you. And empirically, it turns out the governments that have lasted the longest, that can maintain order the best, are the ones that make citizens happiest. So he takes a modern idea, happiness, and he shows it actually undergirds an ancient idea, order. No happiness, no order. Order is important, essential. Rao cares above, about law and order more than anything else. That's how he makes his name in, in Travancore in the first place. He wipes out corruption and wipes out criminality. Um, and, and everyone says, I didn't even know this was possible. Uh, it, it seemed like, you know, brigandage was a way of, way of, uh, was a fact of nature. And Rao is able to put this away. He's able to ex- eliminate this. And so he shows order is important, but it won't last if the underlying element, society, is not made happy. 
Hey, Grant the Masha listeners. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Putting this show together each week is a labor of love, but it takes a lot of work to put out a great show every week. If you'd like to support the work we do at Grant the Masha, please visit ceip.org slash donate. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcasting platform, so you'll be the first to know when a new episode rolls out. So the third and final book uh, on our Granthamasha year-end best-of list is a book called The Newlyweds, Rearranging Marriage in Modern India. It's by the journalist Mansi Choksi. Uh, this, like Shreyana Bhattacharya's book and another book that we've talked about uh, on the podcast before, Snigdha Poonam's book, The Dreamers, is really just an amazing piece of, of reportage. And, and what uh, Choksi does is to provide a really moving account of what it means to be in love in contemporary India. Uh, and she does this by following three couples across the heartland of India as they navigate all sorts of socially taboo boundaries, you know, caste, class, religion, traditional gender norms. And, and, and what unfolds in the pages that follow is a sort of a tale of romance, of endurance, of, of violence, of spite, occasionally uh, heartbreak. And what I like about this book is that, you know, those of us who are social scientists sometimes have a really hard time uh, bringing readers into the private lives of young people uh, in India. Um, and I think you can learn more about that subject from this book than almost any other that I've read. And one of the real distinct features of this book is the geography. There are so many authors, so many scholars who focus on big city life in India. And, and Choksi is obsessed with what, what's really India's equivalent of flyover country, right? So this is part of the country that even most dedicated India watchers, you know, never see. And, and, and she's well prepared for this. You know, she's a veteran contributor to uh, publications like Harper's, The New Yorker, The Atlantic. And so all of those reporting chops are on full display throughout this book. In this clip I'm about to play, I ask Mansi whether marrying for love in India today is still considered a taboo. Here's what she had to say. I, I don't think it's a, um, a rebellious act anymore to marry someone you love. But there is, I would say, a certain peace um, that a lot of people choose in um, going with the partners that they are assigned. Um, it's almost like a peace and defeat. Whatever you get is now a bonus. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, whenever whenever there's an element of love involved, there's always that, um, that, that idea of self-doubt that, oh, this it turned out this way because you know I w I chose what I uh, what I what I wanted. Had I um, gone ahead with the the match my family chose for me, they would not because this would not have happened because they've done it for so many years. That's how happy marriages have lasted for all these generations. Um, so I think it's this idea of um, self uh, doubt that uh, comes in when love is involved. So. There you have it, our top three Granthamasha books of the year. A huge thanks to all of the guests who took time out to come on our show. And above all, huge thanks to our listeners. We would not be here were it not for you. To learn more about the books we profiled today or to listen to any of the 150-odd shows in our archive, visit granthamasha.org. Have a safe and happy holidays and see you in 2023. Granthamasha is a co-production of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the Hindustan Times. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review to help others find the show. 
Tim Martin is our audio engineer, and Cliff Jayapranada is our executive producer. Production assistance comes from Nithya Love. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. This was a Hindustan Times production, brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.